Hello cult hackers and welcome to the podcast. I'm Celine, a media graduate with an interest in cults. And I'm Stephen. I'm Celine's dad. I'm an organisational psychologist. I was raised in a cult. I left when I was about 30. Uh, welcome to the podcast, everyone. <laughs> right. Um, so we're very excited today. We've got a very special guest. We've got a fellow podcaster and um, somebody that we've we've known for quite a while now. So Casey from the Cult Vault, welcome to the show. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Celine. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's a good way to spend a Sunday morning in the same time zone. That's right. It's, it's it so much so easier. Much easier. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny. I did a quiz the other day um, and one of the questions was, what are the four different time zones in the United States? I thought, yeah, you know, th- three years ago, I would have had no idea about the answer to that question. But now off you know just reeled them off really quickly because you you get to know don't you (laughs) you do I didn't know much about major religions or the bible and now Mm. I feel like when people mispronounce job as job I can correct them (laughs) (laughs) or titus um instead of titus that's always a Mm. amusing one yeah um yeah well I want to we want to talk to you about all the stuff that you've learned because I think you're you're your kind of journeys is going to be really interesting to someone like me particularly, I suppose, and, um, and our listeners. Um, so we'll get into that, but I'm, um, you, you've hit a bit of a milestone, uh, over the last couple of days. So as we were recording this, this is Sunday the 23rd. I'm not sure when we'll get to play this, um, actual episode, but, um, what, what is the news of the cult vault hub? Well, Oh, goodness. Three years and 260-something episodes later, we've finally reached the one million download milestone. And I feel like I've been watching that number slowly (laughs) tick up for the last sort of 100,000 downloads. But yesterday, I got a nice little notification that that's uh, that's finally happened. So now I can focus on the next five million downloads. (laughs) (laughs) so that's a fantastic achievement um congratulations on that milestone that's absolutely brilliant and uh yeah it's it's been great to see your podcast develop and uh, become what it is today um we wanted to get a bit of uh i don't know a bit of your story really how did you end up doing the podcast and why um yeah let's start with those two questions really that's one of the questions that I get asked the most, and it's it's by this point to anybody that's heard it before, probably a really boring story. And it's almost scripted at this point. Um, but it was April 2020. We had a four month old newborn as brand new parents. And we had all as a nation and some well, most parts of the world at this point, just gone into a lockdown for a global pandemic, which is something that none of us have ever lived through before, unless you do believe in immortality and vampires, which I do not. So I'm assuming (laughs) that this was the first pandemic that we'd all lived through Mm. simultaneously. And it was a really tough one because when when you become a parent, people have these really interesting bits of wisdom that they they throw at you like oh get sleep while you can when you're pregnant which is actually quite difficult because it's it's not the most comfortable thing um and when you become a parent I feel like nobody really prepares you for or can prepare you for this shift in identity that happens instantly you go from being an independent person to being a parent and that is such a strange thing to to balance in your mind um I was really struggling with being at home or isolated from everybody um my parents live a few hundred miles away so I'd phone my mom and she'd give me advice but she didn't have a baby during lockdown so it's a whole Mm. different it's a whole different experience and I was binge watching so many box sets on tv my partner was working night shifts and our baby was kind of going through those phases of waking up every sort of 45 minutes. So there really wasn't any point in me trying to get sleep because being on the brink of sleep and then being pulled out of it, as many of the listeners who have experienced sleep deprivation will understand is trauma. It's traumatizing. Mm. So it was actually better to 
wait until my partner was home to just get sleep than it was to try and sleep. And I would binge watch all these box sets and I was seeing all my friends on social media like, I'm going to learn how to do the splits during lockdown. I'm going to... I'm going to learn how to make my my back garden the most beautiful, um, you know, green thumb garden in the whole street. And I was like, what am I what am I going to do during maternity leave and during lockdown that is separate from motherhood? I really, really, really loved those early days, those cuddles, those snuggles. Um, breastfeeding was so special. But there was still something that I needed that was separate to that. And mm. I tried all sorts of different things that didn't work out well. Um, knitting, I couldn't get into. <laughs> baking, I was hideous at baking. And uh, I found a box in in a, our spare room that had a room mic in and loads of notes that I'd made on Unsolved Mysteries that I found really interesting. And I was like, oh, I had that funny idea to start a podcast. And then I told my friend on the phone later that day and she said, oh, you should start a podcast about cults. I've just finished reading a memoir by Jenna Miscavige Hill about her uncle being the leader of Scientology and her escape in Scientology. And I think that that subject is fascinating. And I was like, well, I don't really know much about cults. I know uh, a few things from what I've seen in documentaries. So I'll give that a go. Um, And (laughs) it was it was really 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 tough recording that first episode as I'm sure you could both remember from recording the earlier stuff it's like I sat in the bedroom with this room mic and audacity kept crashing I'd be reading a script and it would cut off halfway through and then I'd go back to audacity and it would have stopped recording and I didn't know where I was up to when it stopped um and I could hear baby crying downstairs with my partner like oh it's okay because um, that's where breastfeeding can be a bit tricky. So (laughs) it was just stressful. But I got the first few episodes out. And then I got contacted by Helen Zuman, who has written a memoir named uh, Mating in Captivity about her time on Zendik Farm. And she was like, do you want to read my book? And I said, absolutely. I Mm. read the book. It was incredible. And then I asked Helen if I could interview her. And she said yes. And I'd never done anything like that before. I've worked with a lot of people in various roles that require being person-centered and and communicating in certain ways, but never in this kind of journalistic format. Mm. Uh, especially with so little knowledge about the subject of cults. And um, yeah, I was dripping. I had sweat dripping down my back. I was just mumbling so much and stuttering. Someone actually commented on one of my earlier episodes saying, do you have a stutter? (laughs) (laughs) And um, I released the episode with Helen. It was a great success. Um, And after that, people just kept emailing in saying, can we share our story with you? And, Mm. um, And here we are today. Wow. That's that's really interesting. I didn't know all of that. That's uh, that's fascinating stuff. At that point, we because um, I know you said you were kind of interested in the crime stuff as well. Uh, when you start, were you thinking, oh, you would do a bit of crime, a bit of cults, because they're kind of linked, or were you just like hundred percent in the cult stuff? But from from that point, I guess I was going down the road of having a mixed bag of content there were a few things I'd read about um survivors of Jonestown that were found murdered a few a couple of years after the uh the the Jonestown massacre took place and I thought that was really interesting and I think that that kind of bridged the cults and unsolved mystery stuff together for me so I did a few really kind of top of the top of the pyramid stuff on conspiracy theories no no deep dives just overview uh overview episodes on conspiracy theories but my perspective on true crime changed so much after I started doing this podcast I would fall asleep watching forensic files I would watch tv series and be really kind of just disconnected from the Mm. people whose stories Mm. were being told and as soon as I interviewed Helen, um, I said to her something about 
the sex cult and she shut me down straight away. <laughs> and the sex cult stuff was something that I'd read doing research about Zendik in a news article on something like the Daily Mail, um, who love to use this type of, mm. of kind of salacious language. Um, and she said it wasn't a sex cult. It was a community that had a radical take on sex and relationships. Mm. And in that moment, it was like my first epiphany of, oh, my goodness, there is so much to learn about this subject that I have no idea about. And I'm going off of sensationalized journalistic pieces that are clickbaity, that are titled in a way that makes you think, oh my goodness, that can't be true. You know, like those weird magazines that have like um, lover keeps keeps deceased husband's head in freezer for three mm -hmm. years or something <laughs> wild that you see on these like okay yeah. magazines. Mm. Um, I, and, and I just started thinking I'm not comfortable with it um, and then I started to question my relationship with true crime and realized that it was just so unethical and and so so much of what is wrong with the genre of true crime and the and the true crime community and I am part of a few subreddits for other podcasts true crime podcasts that are quite prominent in the world and people would go to these message boards and they would say things like um oh this week um the the podcast put um their guest speaker's face as the instagram post instead of the murder victim that they were talking about in the case so they made it more about this collaboration with a celebrity than they did about the actual person's story and it was through reading things on that message board and reflecting on my connections that I was making with cult survivors that I realized I did not want to be on that side of the fence anymore and I really had to question what kind of platform I wanted to create with the cult vault podcast which direction I wanted to take it in and what messages I want to give listeners who are like myself coming from a place of not having cultic experience but wanting to be educated and understand it more and I also didn't want to have that kind of like got you journalistic approach mm. where you lead somebody into a line of questioning because you think you can ask them questions that again might not be completely ethical just for the the sensationalism or trauma porn as I heard Elgin Strait mm. say at one time and mm. um, mm. so that that's really kind of the the journey that I've been on with my relationship to true crime and since I've had kids specifically I can't watch things like I used to I can't I can't watch things about children I can't I can't and in my downtime when I'm not doing cult related stuff and and taking a break from some of the really dark subject mm. material that that we focus on with these conversations I don't want to be immersed in true crime I want to watch mm. the Barbie movie I want to watch <laughs> really mindless mm. comedies where you can mm. go out of the room get a bag of popcorn sit back down on the sofa and you just haven't missed anything important mm. so um yeah it's, I don't I don't really know um how to answer that question Celine mm. um but there's my long-winded answer for you <laughs> I think you did a pretty yeah. good job that's, no, that's uh, good. That's really, yeah yeah, yeah. Well, I was gonna say so just off the back of that how much of your listener it's probably hard to know but from your like point of view I guess how much of your listeners are sort of I guess ex high control members and how much are I guess, like general public that's not had been a member of those groups before? Uh, it's an interesting question. I think from the communication that I've had with different listeners, it's a mixed bag. Mm. Some people are survivors of certain groups and they'll drop in just for episodes specifically related to that group. Mm. Um, the troubled teen industry uh, stuff that I've covered on the podcast is an example of that, of, of, of that kind of sub- genre within the the cult umbrella i get people tuning in um that leave feedback saying um can you do deep dives into uh more infamous stuff can you do less interview based stuff and i think that that feels more in line with people that haven't been uh in cults or experienced coercive control mm. um who are looking for that um kind of long episode approach with a narration 
uh, of, a, of an infamous cult, which is just what I do on my Patreon. So I do enjoy doing the research and deep dive stuff. And after I decided to move into doing primarily interview based stuff on the podcast, the way I could keep the research stuff and um, and have somewhere for it to go was Patreon, which also, of course, goes towards supporting the podcast. So that's kind mm. of a win win with that stuff. And I'd say that my regular listeners that 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 reach out to me and um and and come to chat with me or support the show are also a mixed bag of of survivors and people that just found the show and and enjoyed the show i do have one i do have one listener who is just inspiring to me his name his name is pastor david and he listens to the cult vault podcast every before every congregation that he leads um every time that he gets up to to um to preach for his congregation and he says that it stops him from falling into anything that might be spiritually abusive and i think that that's i think that that's incredible he messaged me the other day to say that he had been approached by a couple of men who claimed to be from something like the church of true light and love or or you know a mixture of, of those kinds of terms and they were trying to put together a type of ministry. So uh, going to all the churches in the local area and asking them to just sign a piece of paper that says that they are part of this ministry. So not signing over any rights of, of, mm. of, of church or practice, but just to say on paper that, that his church was part of this community of churches. And through asking a few more questions, David came to realize that these two people were from Shinchunji and they were withholding certain bits of information from him and trying to get churches in the local area to sign onto the Shinchunji ministry. And he said that he only recognized through the terminology that they were using and the types of tactics that he's heard about on the Shinchunji interviews on the Cult Vault podcast, that that's who it was. And he asked them and they said that, that that is, where they are from so i just thought that that was incredible wow. mm. that's it's great when you see results like that um when people reach out and they tell you for some reason that that um it's helped them in one way or another it's it's really great isn't it when you when you get those those messages and um, so what would you say were some of the things that you got wrong about cults then so you, you said you sort of had to learn from scratch so um Tell us, I don't know, three years ago, Casey, uh, compared to today, Casey, how would you have described cults and what would you have thought about them? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I heard I heard Alexandra Stain say once that people think cults are these exotic things that only happen in countries far away from them. Mm. I also thought that. Um, I think I also thought that I would never join a cult and that anybody that joins one, it must be stupid um anyone that that joins a cult must not have um good willpower or critical mm. thinking skills um just the general misconceptions that still exist that mm. that I come across every day and um, and and you know why don't you just leave oh gosh mm. <laughs> and in some ways I am really grateful to have come from that perspective because it's it's easier to have conversations mm-hmm. with people who have those misconceptions. Of course, I didn't even think that people could be born and raised in cults. That's not even something that had ever crossed my mind. Oh, that's you know, really cult- interesting. Cults are just things that people join in the 60s and 70s and then loads of people die, um, it, you know, in, in my really naive mindset of of Mm. sort of four years ago and even now some of the stuff that is coming out like the net the recent netflix documentary on the waco siege oh gosh just the most infuriating thing i've i've watched in a long time it 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 fuels that misconception Mm. um and what's what's kind of cool now is being able to look objectively at a media piece like the Waco documentary and talk about what's missing, um, what should have been included that I just would not have been able to do four years ago. I would have just watched it and been like, why didn't those people just leave? Um, And it doesn't answer those questions. It doesn't tell you why. And that's Mm. what we need in the world. We we need these pieces to be offering us both both, um, 
you know, the the stuff that makes people want to watch it. And then once people want to watch it, we can we can get the education stuff in because yeah. the audience is already there. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really true. And I, and I think, you know, um, podcasts uh, like yours is is the way that we increase uh, that knowledge and that sort of baseline a bit of education. Um, so yeah, there is a there is a kind of balance. It's got to be interesting for people to want to tune in, to want to listen to it. Um, it can't all be sort of deep academic stuff, um, and that's why stories are so important because we are attracted to people's stories. But um, yeah, it also needs to smuggle in some of the actual facts about it um, as well. I think um, mm. I, I was going to ask you about your. Um, so obviously you've done um, quite a bit of research. You, you, you're going to do some more, and we'll talk about that a bit later. But um, um, what's your – so there's a lot of expertise or people who sell books and other podcasters and people who um, describe themselves as cult experts and, and so on. What's your kind of um, take on this uh, – the, the state of play, if you like, at the moment in understanding cults and – um, how much we know, how much we don't know, and uh, where we need to go next. Oh, it's tricky. It's tricky because mm. I feel, and this is really prominent um, for me when I go to things like the International Cortic Studies Association conferences, there there really isn't um, a bridge between people wanting to learn about cults and not really knowing much about them or or where to go other than, you know, Netflix documentaries that don't mm. really do much to help that. And people that have experienced cults and are in recovery or are educating others, there's no um, gap in the middle. So I I often find that it's difficult to find the right place for myself when I attend those conferences. I don't want to come across as somebody who is there to exploit people's experiences and gather people's stories. But I also want people to be aware that I'm not presenting myself as somebody that is a cult survivor. I am very open about being a podcaster, knowing that that is something that might put people off, especially if individuals have had negative experiences with newspapers, press, um, journalists that have come to um, ask people to share their stories before people have had a chance to really think about the ramifications of of telling your story, uh, mm. whether to use your full information and allow that to be on public record. So it's it's really interesting in in those types of environments to find the right place. But then again, do you need to fit in? Do you need to feel like you know? Do you need to? Uh, and you would know this better than anyone, Stephen, about kind of group psychology and wanting to be you know part of the group um but but maybe it's not a bad thing that it's not always comfortable uh but this work allows me to interact with some of the most incredible minds i think mm. in the world the most recent ixa conference was just full of so much different material that went in so many different directions and some of the talks directly contradicted one another and that is just fascinating to me but it's backed up with research and people are coming out with their own frameworks and methodologies for things and it's really really exciting for somebody like myself to be able to attend these conferences talk to survivors um, and be a part of a community that has high walls around itself for good reason. Uh, we just have to make sure that that the gatekeeping in certain areas doesn't damage the work that that is like that is trying to happen. Um, because sometimes you can try and cover a group um and you get shut down by uh survivors who don't want any part of that. Um mm. which which I understand completely and and always respect those boundaries. Yeah, I think that's very very interesting comment, really. I mean, I, I can only speak for myself, um, really, but I think as a as somebody who was raised in a group, um I, I don't know, I always feel a fraud calling myself a survivor, but um okay, you know, I, I was in a group, I was in a cult for 30 years, grew up in it and left. I and as also as somebody that is um I, I consider myself a researcher and um, obviously I've 
I've had education in in scientific methodology and so on. So I think those two things put together, I really feel that it's important to have people like you who haven't experienced uh, life in a cult. It's important to hear those voices too. That might seem, um, I know not everybody agrees with that, but I think there is a real risk that if we only allow people that have actually experienced things to talk um, about this topic, then we are losing something. We're losing another perspective that we desperately need. Plus, I think one of the things that I want to see with with cult research is um, a bit more of a rounded out um, field where, yeah, we, you know, uh, I'm a big believer in in people's stories and listening. We we have interviews on our podcast and also qualitative research is really important. But I think we also need um, some more kind of scientific approaches to some of these psychological questions that currently we're just not, we don't have the depth. There is some of that, but there isn't enough depth of that. It's it's really dominated by the fields of um, psychoanalytic um practitioners of counselors and so on and they're really really important because obviously they pick up the pieces for us um as someone who's benefited and still benefits from that sort of support i really support that but we also need to understand a bit more of the the real psychology of what's actually going on in the mind and how um how these groups operate the processes they use the methods they use and so on so people like you um who can look at it from the outside i think is is really really important so mm-hmm. yeah i would completely support that also thinking about how we educate the the wider world if, mm. if it's uh if, if we are if we're placed into silos um in in some ways um i know that even some people have expressed kind of uh, being wary of the terminology of of you know first generation multi generation uh, survivors uh, MGAs and mm. and FGAs because there's a fear of being placed into those silos or boxes again um, and and having people label you in a way that you might not want to be labeled it does make it easier when communicating with people to say this is uh, I am um, because it 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 gives a lot of context to a person's experience. But in order to bridge that gap between the wider world and those that have experienced life in a cult or people that are educating themselves and others who are working in the field of cult education and cult awareness, we can't bridge that gap if the entire demographic of people in that field is made up of the same demographic <laughs> so absolutely um, yeah mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i mean I, I liken it to um so you know eating ice cream let's say um you, you, if you've never eaten ice cream you can't really understand what the sensation of eating ice cream is like you know you can't know the qualitative experience of eating ice cream and that is absolutely true you know in order to know what eating ice cream is really like from a sort of sort of qualitative perspective you have to you have to have eaten it yourself however that's not the only thing you can say about it you know so you can analyze what ice cream is made up of you know what what are the ingredients of ice cream how does it get made um what what are the differences between good and bad ice cream in terms of what people say you know what what are people's stories about the first time they ate ice cream and the different experiences they have so you know that you yes it's true that um, there is a a unique perspective that, that individuals have when they've experienced life in a cult. Um, but that doesn't mean the conversation stops there and there's nothing anybody else can say about it. So we we mm-hmm. definitely need all of those aspects as well. The language is important because, like you say, it helps and it's quick for understanding. And mm. like you say, you didn't necessarily know that, you know, some years ago that born-ins was a thing. <laughs> so obviously having that language makes it a lot easier to have those conversations because it's um yeah it's quite descriptive it's quite clear you can understand and start a conversation from there it's just yeah the concern of um what just doing exactly what was happening if you were in the groups anyway of yeah separating and absolutely absolutely and and you're also at risk of pushing out other people who might want to learn but don't understand that terminology and would have Mm -hmm. to do 
quite a bit of legwork to get to a place where they recognized certain terminologies. You know, I see, you know, terms like DAVO being thrown around a lot at the moment, and it's Mm. a really helpful acronym, but you would have to actively go out to understand what the the words were in that Mm. acronym. Um, And especially then how that applies to these specific situations because DAVO can be used to look at narcissism and narcissistic abuse. It can be used to look at, you know, uh, intimate relationships and, and domestic violence and domestic abuse. So it's, it's, you are right, Celine. It's, it's easy to um, have these acronyms and to have these descriptive terms, but um, again, could be a way that people find this field inaccessible so um like you said Stephen I think the best way to go is to make sure that everybody is being safe everybody is being sensitive everybody is listening to each other and actively trying to educate and learn but everybody should also be able to do that um yeah and I look down and I see she had a knife right at my back And of course, now I'm banging on the door and the RA comes running from the computer in the hallway and opens the door. And I sprinted three stairs at a time up to my room. Yeah, the culture of Bob Jones University is very much like other religious institutions. They created a shame structure. These structures are intended to keep people within the boundaries of what the group or the cult wants them to be in. I was followed a lot my freshman year, second semester, because I got what was called social. The RA, the resident assistant on my hall, would follow me around from classes. Being able to say that's Satan, being able to say something's controlling you in a negative way so that you have to then dismiss those drives and you have to dismiss your anger and the resentment, etc., is um, it's like tying someone's hand behind their back because you're not teaching people how to address it. Surviving Bob Jones University of Christian Cults is a thought-provoking podcast series that delves deeply into the history of Bob Jones University, the psychology of fundamentalism, the criteria for cults, and survivors' experiences The series is premiering August 23rd, 2023. Please spread the word and leave a positive review to help other listeners like you find the show. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can support it by becoming a patron. You can support the podcast for just £1 or $1.50 and receive a variety of Patreon benefits as a thank you. Don't forget to share the podcast, follow, like, subscribe and rate the podcast on the podcast app you're using. A review is particularly helpful as it gets us recognised by new listeners. And finally, if you'd like to reach out to us and tell us about some court hacking you've been involved in or you just want to say hi, you can do so by going to courthackers.com and using the contact form. We love hearing from our court hackers. Thank you for listening and now back to the podcast. Let's get on to the masters. So um, I don't know if everybody knows this, but um, you are in, um, embarking upon a masters. Um, tell us a bit about the uh, the studies you're going to be doing. Oh gosh, I've been out of I've been out of school now for about twelve years, so I'm a bit nervous <laughs> to be going back to school, big school as I would call it. Uh, the Salford University postgraduate course in the psychology of coercive control. It's the only course I've been able to find of its kind in the world hmm. that is not too far from where I live, but also completely remote. So having two young children makes it an ideal course i'm hoping to have the knowledge and education that i have gained through this podcast experience through all of the survivors and every single person that's ever taken the time to speak to me to have it accredited in some way so that I can go on a journey of becoming a cult expert. Um, I'm 30 years old 
Um, the leading experts in the field right now are either supposed to be retired, but still working very hard or mm. are looking at retiring in the next few years. Um, and I speak to individuals like John Atak and they say that there's grave concern about where the field will go if the next generation of experts uh, are not are not wanting to move into the space, are moving mm. in other directions. So I'm hoping that I can uh, contribute to to the field somehow. Um, I don't find myself drawn towards becoming a therapist or a counsellor. I don't really know where I plan to go with the master's course. I just know that I have so much knowledge of this field now that it makes sense to have a certificate to say that. <laughs> <laughs> and and there'll be lots of stuff that you um, like, you know, like always that you didn't know, you didn't know. So absolutely, I'm, I'm sure there'll, yes, there'll be lots of great stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a really interesting course. It, it's. Um, I when I chose my master's in organizational psychology um I'd already chosen that and I was I was deep into that and then I noticed this uh, this course it was quite new so I think it had only really just started to being advertised um and at the time I thought oh no I should have you know I wish I'd have done that one because that was really you know an area of, of intense interest but you know that I, I got a lot of benefit out of the one I did but um but yeah it looks absolutely fascinating I know there's lots of um lots of other other people that have been on that program um um i know uh chris shelton completed that that program um who obviously i think listeners will know he has his own podcast ex scientologist um and it's great that that this little group in salford are really producing all of these people that have a really deep knowledge of coercive control in various different settings so what's the bit that you're really looking forward to I know it's remote but what what are you looking forward to um I it's it's gonna sound strange and I know I'm gonna hate it when it happens but I'm looking forward to having to sit down and write a paper about something specific Mm. that really interests me yeah um I know I'll probably struggle with deadlines but I have been working my way through the reading list and I'm looking forward to seeing how I can apply all of the things that I've been reading about and all of the things that I've learned through the podcast. There's two papers due between September and Christmas, so I think it's going to be stressful and it's going to be a struggle. But I, I'm looking forward to that. And I'm also looking forward to understanding how coercive control applies beyond cults. Hmm. I have done episodes on the Cult Vault podcast about the armed forces. I've talked about um, gang recruitment and grooming of Hmm. children into gangs. I've talked a lot about human trafficking for various purposes. So I feel as though I was connecting the dots of coercive control uh, beyond cults before I found out about this course. So Hmm. to be able to go on this course now and understand that in depth is really exciting for me. Something that I find absolutely fascinating about every interview that I do is my brain's ability to connect certain um, uh, practices from one group to another or say oh that sounds like that comes straight out of the Scientology playbook and here's an example of this from an interview that I did with this person Um, so that's something that that I find interesting but also just being able to support survivors more in a in a in an informed and educated way is my main motivation I think we can never do enough to um, understand how best to approach people and 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 how best to try to understand people's situations and experiences without ever having lived them yourself so Mm. um that's kind of where where I'm heading with everything where I'll be in five years time I have no idea (laughs) Yeah, well, that's a great thing. It gives you options, doesn't it? And that's um, that's what you'll you'll have at the end of it. I think that's fantastic. I'm really, um, I'm kind of a little bit jealous, but um, <laughs> but just um, just really pleased for you that you know you're able There's to. Still spaces, to come and join us. Come <laughs> and join I, us. I, I I can't afford it. I've um, I've shot my bolt because um, you can only get one set of loans yeah. for uh, for a master, so I'd have to pay for the whole lot. Um, so yeah, I did think about doing because you can do some modules as kind of postgraduate certificates so i did look at doing that i have thought about doing that but um yeah you can't do everything you can't do everything casey 
<laughs> well, this is my plan. I'm yeah. going to see if anyone on the course wants to start a, a little um, Facebook group or something. And then we get a shared Google uh, folder and we all put in our notes from our classes. And then and I'm hoping to create this little network of like thoughts that people had about mm. certain materials and, uh, and and that sort of stuff. So hopefully we'll have a little, not to sound too culty, <laughs> but we'll have a little hub of people that that share information about yeah. what they're learning and and things like that. So it's mm -hmm. it's exciting. I, I think you'll love it. You'll you'll really you'll find it really interesting. I'm sure you will. And um, so, what's your um um what's your thoughts around getting back to the sort of bigger subject of cults and and how we um. I suppose, manage them or what we do about them in society. So um, it's an area we're sort of starting to get into in discussions a bit more. Um, as, as a modern society with balances between freedom of speech and worship and all of that and um, some of these practices, uh, what's your thoughts after so many interviews and discussions with people um, about how we move forward with that topic? I asked Alexandra Stain this question um, and she was talking to me about the work of the Family Survival Trust, a UK-based charity that you're raising money for right now. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> People can go and donate. <laughs> oh, please do. Yes, please do. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Alex said on an interview with me that the best thing we can do now to further the understanding of coercive control and the laws that currently exist in the UK around coercive control through the Crown Prosecution Service is to start a conversation with people that can change those laws, people that can get the ball rolling in changing those laws and widening them so that they don't just apply to family environments and, and intimate relationships, but they also extend to groups. I've spoken to Carol Murchison about this and how likely it is that we will ever be able to strip certain religious groups of their <laughs> privileges mm. uh, when they are known to be abusive. Um, and she talked me through the difficulties because government in certain capacities then has to admit that there is a flaw in the system it's it's probably easier for government to allow religions to exist in the way that they do, especially over in the States with religious freedom, than it is to say, okay, we've allowed this group to become an organized criminal, <laughs> mm. a criminal group that is profiting off of human trafficking um, and is uh, basically the church is a front group for all of this underground criminal activity that's taking place. So I don't know what luck we'll have in in kind of stopping abusive religious practices as a whole, but but groups that, you know, a very British cult focused on uh, most recently in their documentary, this group is not primarily, well, it's not listed as a religion or a religious mm. group uh, that I know of. I know that they have certain Christian influences and parts of scripture that are used but if you go to your local councillor your local mp your local member of parliament um and you sit down with them because that's their that that's their job to sit down mm. and and you know part of their job is to sit down and listen to the constituents concerns about things happening in the united kingdom so you can make an appointment to sit down with your member your local member of parliament and say these are the laws around coercive control my concerns are uh, that groups exist all around us, like the lo local knitting group around the corner. Somebody has told me that they uh, that the woman that leads the group or the man that leads the group is vocally abusive, is um, stopping people from from leaving, is locking the doors, is charging people so much money. All of these things that that might concern a person, you can go to your local member of parliament and say, I want to discuss the idea of widening laws around coercive control to include groups of course that's probably not going to do anything but the more noise that we can make about it as a collective the more chance mm. there is that people in places that can make these changes will start having these discussions and 
I didn't know anything about coercive control or cults before I did this podcast. So if I wouldn't have had these conversations, I wouldn't know what I know now. We can't expect lawmakers and law changers to do what we hope them to do if they don't know either. Yeah. So mm. it's it's really important to just ha- be having these conversations with people. Two days ago when I was in Starbucks, I heard somebody giving um, an MLM pitch next to me <laughs> and she was sitting down and she was selling all of these beauty products and she was talking about to this woman that she was trying to sell this package to, um, you know, this is what will be expected of you. You'll need to put down this much money, but you'll need to make this much money and sell this many products. And the woman was like, okay, okay, okay. I really need the money. Um, and it was really hard for me not to turn around mm. and say, I'm not sure about this. Mm. Um, but, but after the, the seller had left, um, and the woman was finishing up her coffee, I, I did just say multi-level marketing is, is, is really tricky and can be quite dangerous. And that was all I said because I felt like there was kind yeah. of like a, a moral obligation to say something, yeah. but not to be too kind of like pushy. It's difficult. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So I, I I think to just go with with Alex Dane's advice of sitting down with people, having conversations, um, um, and speaking to your your local m- members of parliament is a is a great way to to start with getting the ball rolling um Mm -hmm. and south australia are now introducing laws around coercive control parts of america are looking at changing bills to uh, include certain things at the moment the way around that is to focus on human trafficking uh charges so it's happening and it's exciting Mm. and who knows Mm. where we'll be again in five years time (laughs) absolutely and yeah i mean you you obviously we're we're based in the uk but um the same principle um applies to democracies around the world they they the representatives of of the people will only um propose new bills propose changes if they see votes in it essentially so the more that we raise these issues and get people concerned about it and actually realize what's actually happening the the more likely it is that that politicians will Mm -hmm. stick their neck out because yeah it's it's um, at the moment it's quite there's not a lot in it for them i would say and there's no votes in it or not they don't see that there's any votes in it for them um and they they also then come under pressure from the religious lobby it it really it does you know so the example you talked about from the bbc documentary of very british cult was a um a coaching group uh, a personal development group essentially and it, it does make you realize that if and you know this isn't um meant to be you know an advice about how to do it properly but if you are going to start a cult then you better make it religious because that way you can you can pretty much operate with impunity you know all the um employment laws that are in the uk um that are designed to protect people um with various protected characteristics for instance none of those apply to religions so you can you can quite happily discriminate against women against people who are gay um uh, you can discriminate against all of these classes of people um, if you say it's part of our religion uh, part of our religious beliefs mm-hmm. yeah it's infuriating mm. yeah maybe we need to do a petition how many thousand is it you need before they have to talk about it in, in the uk it's a hundred thousand isn't yeah. it they have to if you if you do oh. a petition yeah they have to talk about it yeah mm. i mean we you know we uh, i i work with the family survival trust quite a bit on this topic and um you know um if you go to the fst website there's a alexandra stein has put together a um a kind of proposal if you like that that is the basis on which we want to um try to persuade governments to to think about changing those laws that the fact in the uk we have laws against coercive control is good that's a start um but moving it to the next step which is not just in relationships but also in groups is obviously hard but no one thought it could be done for couples or for intimate relationships so i think it's it's you know these things don't happen overnight but they can they can happen yeah yeah absolutely and it changes and progresses every day Mm, in in the the kind of the specifics of that of that serious crime uh, act it changes all the time to encompass things like understanding gaslighting understanding love mm. bombing this terminology is being 
brought into yeah. um, the, the Serious Crimes Act. And people can look at that and they can read descriptions of what these words mean. Uh, there's a wider understanding that goes into training social workers, that goes into training teachers, that goes into training police officers. So it's it's it is exciting and things are happening. And once you have definitions and terminology being used in law, it means that when you're trying to prosecute, you can go into a, a, a courtroom and you can say this person loved bombed this person. There's no physical evidence unless, you know, you have it on film. Uh, by chance, but there's no physical evidence. There's no marks on a person's body mm. that they were being love bombed. But it's understood in the in the the law of the land that these are things that happen, and this is what they look like. So mm. that is it's allowing for people to be Im imprisoned because of coercive mm. control. At first, yeah. nothing really happened with with. Uh, charging people with crimes of of coercive control, but we're seeing it now in the cult news segments that mm. I do daily, weekly, sometimes monthly, whenever I find the time. <laughs> we're seeing all the time people being prosecuted for coercive control. Um, so the understanding is is widening within the the public realm. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe not specifically with cults, but definitely with um, you know intimate mm -hmm. intimate partnerships parents with their children, uh, carers with children, um, it, w w whichever manner it, it takes place. Yeah, and my, my um, prediction would be that there will never be a law about cults because the word cult is not is not definitive enough it's too it's too woolly um yeah. we both use it in our titles for the our podcast but we know that it's it's not a legal term that is really de defined the closely used enough. by that's right so yeah. it'd be more like um relationships um uh, organization that was doing this or that was structured to do that so yeah i don't care if if mm -hmm. if there's not a law that says it's about cults it's, it's really about what these organizations are doing isn't it and i that's where i think it it could we could start to see some changes organize systemic areas of abuse where people are manipulated and coerced into doing certain things and as you say i mean the laws around slavery are almost there really um if i'm an organization looking for labor in a, a fruit picking company or something i have to obviously be careful about how i source that labor and um there's all sorts of laws around that so there are already laws that that may be applicable i think mm -hmm. yeah I was thinking as well, um, Casey, do you feel like it helps as well? So um, obviously there's a lot of people that have we said that have been in these groups that have, um, you know, it's difficult to want to talk about it because of all the fear attached. Um, because obviously if you talk about it, you lose friends, family, they, you know, in some groups there's collateral, there's blackmail, you know, all of these things. So it's difficult to talk about it. So I think another reason to highlight it's important people that haven't been in these groups to talk about it is that you know at least hopefully it helps with not ha being having the same leverages against people that were in the groups um do you feel like that's something that gives you a, a benefit or like means you're able to talk about things i think so i think so it's 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 a kind of a fine line because uh it, it's it's you can be sympathetic and empathetic to a certain point, mm -hmm. but without having the lived experience, you can't fully understand mm -hmm. somebody's experiences. And even if you did, you 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 can't really ever completely understand somebody else's experience because you're not the same person. Mm -hmm. So if a former Jehovah's Witness was to explain their experiences to you, Stephen, I'm sure mm -hmm. even then Absolutely. your experiences would be very different. Mm -hmm. So there's 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 that to consider. Um, and and through reading things and becoming educated, you can offer uh, terminology and you can offer definitions and you can talk about certain models and frameworks that experts have developed where you could say, well, that would fall into Yanya Lalich's bounded choice framework, for example. Um, and you can talk to people, you know, about how did that feel? How how was that experience? But you can't ever say, oh, I know what you mean. I know how you feel. I know I know what, what you're saying. Mm. On, the, on the flip side of that, uh, I didn't 
think that I could be traumatized or impacted by people's experiences. So uh, when a person talks about their life in a cult, there's always a discussion I have with people before we hit record about um, triggers, uh, re-traumatization, and all of these things are really, really important to consider before uh, an interview takes place. So there's always uh, a document that I send out to people to collect some written information about a person's experiences before I speak to them. Um, And that includes questions like, how long have you been out of the group? I think that's a really important question to ask because Mm. sometimes people may tell their stories uh, relatively uh, soon after leaving a group and that might cause ramifications lean as you mentioned for them in their personal life it may impact them at work because some cults love to get you into trouble wherever they can Mm -hmm. um in in kind of pushback for you speaking out but it can also re-traumatize a person um and and leave them feeling like they are having those experiences all over again and I try to check in with people after we finish recording um, and, and and to make sure that a, a person feels OK before I just end the Zoom call and say goodbye to them. Most people say that they are in therapy, that they are recovering, that they have certain things that they can do to um, allow them to stay safe Um And I also highlight to people that if there are questions I ask them that they don't want to answer, that they don't answer those questions. You only talk about what you're comfortable Mm. to to talking about. And of course, the guest has come to me to ask to tell their story. So I'm not pressured into saying, you know, oh, I really want to hear your story. Can you come and tell me? What I have learned through doing these interviews is that vicarious trauma is a massive thing um, and you can you can you can find yourself immersed in so many dark experiences so many really difficult stories that it does rub off on you um and I found myself feeling really low really unmotivated it felt like burnout but with a kind of like a low level of anxiety like bubbling just Mm. just just underneath and it took me so long to put my finger on what it was. And it was speaking with Nicola Ranson, who is a, a psychotherapist and a cult survivor, that she pointed out to me that I was probably experiencing vicarious trauma. And I just thought, well, that's ridiculous because I don't have these lived experiences. And she said, you don't need to have these lived experiences. Therapists and counselors often have to speak with other therapists and counselors to keep themselves in check to make sure that they aren't experiencing this. Um, So when it comes to speaking with people about their experiences, we have to make sure everybody stays safe in in those environments. And that includes knowing when to take a break. Mm. That includes knowing when a person emails you about their experiences and you don't feel entirely comfortable speaking with that person. And it also means that you can speak frankly to a person about their experiences if you think that it might be too soon for them to share their story. If you don't have this kind of like clarity between yourself and your guest, then you're at risk of harming both of you. I'm not sure, Celine. I think having some type of uh, objectivity helps to listen to uh, people's stories um, and to ask certain questions. But there is still a risk that a person can be impacted by another person's experiences Mm. and stories. Um, So when that objectivity starts to fade um, and when your anxiety levels increase, that's when you have to take a step back. Otherwise, you're no good to anybody. You don't want to hear people's (laughs) stories if you're if they're just if they're just harming you. So um, that's a good that's a good way to kind of try and balance things out. Mm. I think you've raised so many interesting points there, um, Katie. and I, I kind of want to just echo some of that. Um, I, I think not wanting our listeners to um, play their tiny violins for us as podcasters, mm-hmm. you know, because we we love doing the podcast and I'm sure you're the same. Um, it's a real privilege to do it. And it's um, we meet lots of great people and it's great fun and so on. But yeah, there are there are some um, side effects from doing it. And and some of that is 
just being absorbed in this world um, can can become uh, very uh, very stressful and, and anxiety producing. I think, and I, I notice that myself. And there's times when I just don't want to engage at all um, with any with anyone. content. Yeah, I just like <laughs> as you said, you know, you just want to watch some silly comedy on television, or, or you just want to, I'll get out of my bike, or or just just not engage with it at all. Um, and I, I tend not to consume lots and lots and lots of cult content. Um, obviously, I listen to you, Casey, and um, and one or two others, but I don't, um, I don't consume lots of of that content because it's it is quite um, hard work. You know, it, it feels quite difficult. I think the other thing that um, is not seen is is that you are aware when you're talking to somebody and unlike you, we don't really approach people to tell their story. I don't think I've ever contacted anybody to say, would you tell your story unless they have already written a book, they're writing a book, or maybe they have a podcast. So they're already out there talking about their experience. And then I feel, okay, it might be really interesting to get them on the show, but I wouldn't approach people unless they'd shown and interesting doing that but still if people um approach us you, you still have a feeling that you do need to make sure that you feel comfortable about that person sharing their story and talking about it but there are limits to what you can do you know we are small indie podcasters we don't have a team of researchers that can go and fact check everything um so in some respects you are you are trusting what people tell you and you you have to do that it's their story so their interpretation of their story is the one that you're hearing so i think there's just a definitely a health warning on on some of that has to be said and it it's you know we do the best we can but um you can never um you can never be we're not like the bbc or or um cnn you know where you can send a a group of reporters down to do a whole bunch of research on something yeah well i mean at the moment i'm kind of glad not to be like the bbc because <laughs> well, <yes>. you know <laughs> <laughs> well something that's been really interesting for me to watch with your content um that makes me laugh every time i see another episode is the uh the reviews that you're doing around um movies that have mm. kind of like cult connotations so mm. the truman show uh concept was really interesting and i the reason i laugh is because i sit down to watch something mindless and there's always a reference to a cult or there's <laughs> always something uh, cult like yes. so you actually can't yeah. ever be unimmersed from this work the other day, and I don't know if you've done an episode on this yet, but if you haven't, you have to do an episode on this. I watched, um, I was like, oh, I really want to watch um, a Danny Boyle film. Uh, so I'm going to watch The Beach. And obviously it was like the most cult-like film that I have watched because they all go off to this island that nobody else knows about. And only one woman is allowed to speak at group meetings and she dictates mm -hmm. what happens on the island. And if you leave, you can't ever come back. And oh, I wow. just like... It's all there. <laughs> I've not seen it. Have you seen that, Celine? No, the only thing I know is they ruined the actual beach, didn't they? I think that's all <laughs> I know. Yeah, I think they had to pay reparations yeah. after the fact. Yeah. yeah, and they they closed it down to the public mm -hmm. after a while because it was just becoming yeah. so polluted. Oh, yeah, wow. I think it's but just it's, opened it's again this year. Film. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. It is on my list to watch. Actually, somebody mm -hmm. was talking about it the other day because it's Alex Garland wrote the um, the script, didn't he? And um, I'm a massive fan of his um, as a movie maker. After that, he he started mm -hmm. to make movies. Um, he's a brilliant filmmaker, and um, so yeah, I do want to watch that and maybe read read the book. But um, yeah, okay, there, there you go. Commissioned us to do that, then. Uh... <laughs> We'll do that. Well, I made notes when I was watching it, so I'll be interested to see <laughs> yes. what you pick up on mm. uh, with both of your backgrounds and both of your education and awareness mm. in this field that's different to what I picked up on. Yeah. I think that would be really interesting. I think that's the nice thing about that; those episodes. They always feel quite um, personal because obviously, you know, everybody reads a film differently and we're looking at it through a very particular lens. Mm. Um and it, it's quite a it's like a busman's holiday in a way it's it's kind of we can just have fun and watch a mm. film and then talk about it which yeah. is it's kind of great um but yeah yeah we we yeah. do like doing those episodes <laughs> well it's an excuse to sit down together and actually have like a movie night isn't it exactly, exactly. everybody's so busy just being busy 
then it gives you a nice oh we've got to do research tonight we've got to watch this yeah show. The, the trouble <laughs> is though is that you watch so i watched it with sarah my wife when we were on holiday and um you know obviously you think, oh yes we need to talk about this but then you have to watch it again with your notebook and keep pausing it so it loses some of its um some of its yeah, appeal that's but, true that's um, true so we have yeah. different approaches I, i'm mm. working on vibes and you're working on a notebook yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> right you you do the vibes bit and i, mm. I and as we're talking mm. about it's link eats introducing things that are gonna i'm gonna ask later because i'm going through it in order but celine just likes to keep chucking different things in but you know it sort of works because i'm i'm you're chronological and i'm thematic this is Is the difference in how we are yeah there's a process there's a process (laughs) i am definitely chronological as well so i'd be Mm. like celine put that on the back burner we're not there yet (laughs) you can't talk about that yet no, you get yeah, you get exactly. your four segments and then you, you bunch them up and then you you throw them in. So you know, you're doing the bit about groupthink. You do do all those scenes. That's how you do it. <laughs> do you do you skip straight to the last page of a book? No, no, no. So it's just how I reflect after the fact. I don't I don't reflect chronologically. It's in themes. <laughs> well, anyway, um it, it all works, I think, uh, pretty yeah. much. Um okay, cool. Well, Casey. You've uh, you've got an important thing to to do straight after this podcast, um, mm-hmm, yeah. so we won't we won't hold you up any longer. But um, it's been absolutely lovely to talk to you. Um, we do keep in touch every now and again, um, and it's great to do. It. I think it's nice to have a bit of a mini community of of court podcasters um, to support each other, even if it's just morally supporting mm-hmm. each other. Um, we really love the work that you do, really value it. So thank you so much for that. Um, Casey, thank you very much for coming on Cult Hackers. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Celine. I appreciate both of you, and I hope that you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank Definitely you, will. you too. <laughs>